Have you considered a mortgage refinance or even a loan modification? While it's good to know that rates are super low right now, hold up a second and let's discuss the process of each of those. You might end up dodging a bullet or end up swinging for the fences. Presidency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights, just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. So you've bought a home and you've navigated all the expenses that come with owning a home. But what you may not have realized yet is that you might be able to get a better loan rate, an interest rate, based on your ability to make sense of the current market and whether refinancing or getting a loan modification might be the right thing for you. With rates being as low as they are right now, I decided to bring on my good friend and physician mortgage expert, Doug Krause from UMB Bank. And we started talking about what the right strategy was or strategies and just becoming aware of the right circumstances. And for fun, Doug threw in his favorite Doug rule for us to realize what's going on when you should refinance. And by the way, we have a really good list of physician mortgage loan experts on our website at financialresidency.com slash resources. So if you need help with a mortgage, you can find others in your state that can service that. Now let's jump into the show with Doug. Doug, what's up, man? Welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. This is going to be a super timely episode because mortgage market has, uh, we've known rates been dropping. Hundreds of clients are trying to figure out how we refinance or do loan mods. And we've gone through this enough and explained it enough times. I'm like, you know what? If all of our clients are having these questions, we really just need to do a podcast on this. And I thought of no one better than bringing you on to talk on this. So let's jump right in and just talk about loan modifications real quick. Most people have no idea what that is. So why don't we just talk through the process? Why would someone want to loan, uh, do a loan modification? So this is something that most banks don't really offer. So it's kind of dependent on bank by bank, case by case of who does and doesn't offer it. But it's something that I got my bank to start, as you know, just recently about a month ago. And it's yep. just an awesome product because what it does is instead of going through a full refinance, you come back in, keep the loan you've got and modify the interest rate and then the payment, but keep the term the same. So instead of spending several thousand dollars on a refinance, you just come in and ask for the current rate and pay a small fee and then your payments adjusted moving forward. As opposed to a refinance, you're gonna take your loan back out to a full 15 or 30 year term, and you're gonna probably spend four to six times as much money as you would on a modification. All right, so in, in full disclosure, Doug has helped me, he's with UMB Bank, and Doug helped us get our mortgage on our house. We just went through this process personally of doing a loan modification that you know Doug just said it, his bank finally allowed it, uh, which was really good news for us because we were able to take our rate down like over, well over a point uh, or 1%, which was was really nice. So I kind of want to be like, well, why would we do this? But it, it's pretty common sense, I think, at this point. Like you want to lower your rate and it's less hassle. And it cost us about a thousand bucks 
to do this. Whereas refinancing, and we can kind of jump into that. How much does it cost to refinance if I wasn't to do my loan modification with you and I went and refinanced it out? That one's a little bit of a loaded question because it's going to vary by state. Of course. So some states have very expensive title and some states have basically what I call a sales tax. So especially out east, a lot of the states have 1% tax, plus the counties have another 1% tax. Take, for instance, somebody that's got a $500,000 loan in a state out east, that might be $10,000 worth of taxes. And then tack on to that the cost for title insurance and appraisal, that person's you know easily into a refinance for $14,000, $15,000. But where I'm at in Kansas City, that same refinance is probably under 4000 So this depends on how greedy your state is. Yeah, it makes complete sense on how that works. So uh, why would, like, there's there's several reasons, but why would someone choose a refinance? Main thing is you just have to look at how long am I going to be in the house? How much money am I going to save and how much money is it going to cost me? If you look at it, my rule of thumb is if I can break even in 42 months, and that's just my own, that's the Doug rule. That's not a mortgage 101. If you can break even in 42 months and you know you're going to be there that long, then I think it's worth it. If it's going to be five, six years, you're going to tell me it's your forever home and it's worth it. And you're going to do it. But I'm telling you right now that 50% of the people who say this is their forever home will not be in that house in seven years. And then there's also the opportunity that rates may go lower still. So it just have to look on every one of them case by case. Yeah. And, and that was something that you and I talked through was that if I was to refinance now, it would have cost me more money, which is okay. And I would have been able to lock in this killer rate. And we'll talk a little bit more about what rates are doing right now. But if I did the loan modification, it was kind of like hedging my bets. I was able to lower my interest rate, maybe not lock in the best rate, but was able to lower it. And then if rates did drop further, then I could always just refinance. And essentially, yeah, I wasted a thousand bucks in doing that. But since I couldn't modify the term because we have a 30 year and I, w- I was really looking at going to a 15 year, it was kind of a different strategy of doing that. Let's talk kind of like some real world examples here on what are rates look like right now? We're at the end of September here. So uh, obviously they fluctuate day by day, but what are rates look like for someone who's going to put 20% down versus someone who puts nothing down? So it's going to vary again based on if it's a jumbo or not jumbo with most banks. In my case, it doesn't, but 15 year rates have been running in the three and an eight to three and three eighths range in the last couple of weeks. And it's just the opposite of what everybody thinks with the Fed meeting. Everybody thinks rates went down whenever they uh, announced that there was a possibility of future cuts. I think the market took that as probably not as likely as they thought it was going to be before. So rates actually kind of already had this cut baked in. So rates actually went up slightly after the Fed meeting yesterday. So 15-year in that three and an eighth to three and three eighths range and 30-year in a three and three quarters to 4% range. And that's you know, a great perspective because last year we were at like 5% on that 30-year. Uh, right. So we're still- yeah, less than a year ago, we were over five, actually at five and an eighth. Which it sounds horrible, but that's like still not even at the historic normal rates that you've seen over, you know, 20 plus years, but it still dropped a full percentage or a little bit more even. I kind of looked at this as a real world example. If we had a half million dollar loan 
at 4.25%. The total interest on that loan, a 30-year loan, was $385,000. And if the same loan, same term, same everything, except for the interest rate was 3.75% interest, the interest cost would be $333,000. So it's about $50,000 cheaper over the life of the loan. And I know most people don't stay in the loan, the homes forever, uh, even though they think that. But a half percent, I just want to give kind of everyone some example, a half a percent rate drop was about $50,000 in total interest savings over the life of that 30-year loan. So uh, I kind of want to preface that with to ask this question. Can you explain a little bit, because we get a lot of questions on this, a little bit on like an amortization schedule and why you're paying interest primarily first and or just the concepts of of that so if you, if you look at an amortization table it's scary first of all when you look at a 30-year how much interest you pay on a 30-year and it's just based on the fact that so little because they look at a 30-year even payment over the life of the loan so they really flip-flop interest versus principal when you first start out you're probably paying 80 percent interest 20 percent principal and then 25 years in or 20 years in, it's just the opposite. So you just get eaten alive on interest on the front end of the loan that I would just tell everybody, if, if you can swing it a 15 year, if you look at the amortization tables, it's crazy how much money you save. And you'll probably pay about a third as much interest doing a 15 year loan as you will a 30 year. And that just yeah, it doesn't like- even seem possible that. Oh, it it is possible once you understand like, you know, it's a really powerful concept. If you actually Google an amortization schedule and try to figure out what your payment would look like. And I just ran some of the math. So keeping the concept of that half million dollar loan at 3.75%, basically your payment would be about 2850. Out of that 2850, $85 right. is your principal. It's like nothing. So the rest of that uh, essentially is going to be interest. It's it's astronomical. So we look at it as like, you know, it would be nice if everyone had a 15-year loan. It'd be nice if I had a 15-year loan with rates so cheap right now, it would be nice. And I think understanding that amortization piece, but another direction I kind of want to go with this, Doug, and it's a question we get a lot is when they're looking at doing their refinances, they look at that settlement statement and they see the concept of an escrow account and the taxes. And if they have an escrow and then they have to start a new escrow. There's a lot of confusion around that. So I'm hoping you can kind of dig into kind of what happens. And you can use your bank as the example if you'd like. So on escrow account, and it's pretty much mandatory if you have less than 20% equity. Most banks will make it optional to not escrow if you have 20% or more equity. By the way, most banks charge even when you do have 20% equity to choose not to escrow. It's a any rule that they charge a quarter point one-time fee. So on a $500,000 loan, that's $1,250. We actually don't charge anything. Once you qualify to not escrow, it's just dealer's choice. If you don't want to, we don't care. But what most people fail to realize is when you refinance, you don't typically get your current escrow as a credit towards your payoff. You have to wait for that money for 30 days. So Therefore, you either have to fund it out of pocket or borrow the money to set up a new escrow account. The reason banks aren't going to give you your money is because they hold on to it by law. They've got up to 30 days to get it refunded to you. And if you think about them holding 100,000 people's 
escrow account for a month that ends up making them a lot of money. So it's kind of a greed factor that unfortunately makes it difficult when you refinance if you're tight on loan to value. So if you look at your escrow account and let's just pick any month of the year or whatever, however much you've got in your account for your tax insurance, as you're escrowing for a new loan, you're going to need the same amount to go into the new one plus one more month. And the reason it's plus one more month is because whenever you pay off a loan, you're going to end up skipping a house payment. You won't make a payment to the old lender or the new lender. That month that nobody's collecting is the missing escrow and why you'll need, if you have seven months with escrow in your loan that you have, you'll have to collect eight months for the new one. Yeah. So, I mean, this obviously can get quite confusing quite quickly and it also can get really expensive. One thing you did mention, and and I don't necessarily recommend it all the time, but you said you can actually borrow that. Right. So most banks would let you roll in escrow, just like they would let you roll in closing costs. So take an example, if you had a $500,000 house and you owe three fifty, dollars if you wanted to refinance and you owe three fifty, you're going to need to borrow three fifty to pay off the old loan. You're also probably going to need, let's just arbitrarily say you have 10000 in escrow. So then you borrow three sixty, dollars And then if it was going to be $4,000 in closing costs, you borrow three sixty four. Your old lender is going to give you that $10,000 that's sitting in your old escrow account as a refund, but not until 30 days after you've closed. So if you're not able to front that money while you're waiting on the refund from your old one, then being able to borrow it from your lender by rolling it in. Yeah. And hopefully that made sense to everyone. But one of the things that you and I have talked about as strategy, and we actually did this with a client, was they had debt with a much higher interest rate than what they would get with a mortgage. So when they did this refinance, they wrapped in their escrow into that mortgage. And when they got that lump sum, which you used the example 10,000, when they got that 10,000, let's say, they actually went and paid off some of their consumer debt in order to do that. Now, they didn't just wipe the debt clean. They had to take out new debt to pay off that debt. But let's use the interest rate at 3.75% is much lower than 22% that they had on their credit card or 12% that they had on their personal uh, loan. So it's an interesting thing. That's why I said I don't always would, would always recommend it. But that was actually a strategy we've talked about and put in place. And it's kind of an end around way of getting cash out without being a cash out loan. You're not really getting cash out on the new loan. Whenever you get a refund on your escrow, you're essentially accomplished getting cash out. And one of my favorite things to do with it is to go and pay off a car. And a lot of people don't like the idea of paying off a depreciating asset. But for cash flow purposes, if you take that $10,000 and say you had two, three years left to pay on a car and it gets rid of a $700 a month payment, now that just puts you in a situation where you can start saving $700 a month. So the next time you go to buy a car, you can just pay cash which is the way you should buy a car, right? Uh, So one of the other things that we've talked on offline that I'd want to bring kind of out here online is rolling closing costs in and the strategy that if you are going to be in the house uh, not a very long time, why would someone want to wrap closing costs in? Like what kind of time frame? Like how long? Uh, Five years or less. It just depends on, again, if you've got something else better to do with the funds. So if you were going to tie up $5,000 out of your bank account and closing costs that you could have paid off credit card, then of course you're better off rolling it in. But another strategy would be 
if you're in it short term. So let's say you've got an interest rate of four and a half and the rates today are three, seven, five. What if you could get 4% and then get the lender to pay all the closing costs for you? Your break even is tomorrow. So you literally, it's not costing you anything. If, if you take an above market rate, then the lender will typically give you a rebate. And in doing that, use that rebate to pay your closing costs. Well, I mean, your, your break even point is literally immediate because, you know, who wouldn't do this? And surprisingly, I can tell you, I've had that conversation hundreds of times with people's like, oh, it's not worth it. I don't want to mess with it. And they were going to save three or $400 a month in interest. And like, you don't want to spend a total investment to refinance a house maybe takes five hours of your time, five hours of your time to save $400 a month for every month you live there. And people just didn't grasp that. It's like, I don't know what you do for a living, but if you make that much money, then, you know, more power to you. But I just don't know that you're going to ever make that kind of money. If you make that much money, why do you have a mortgage? Right. Is what I mean. You know, the strategy, everyone always wants the lowest interest rate. And the, the reason why I was kind of carrying this out of you was the idea, if you took a quarter point higher, the bank is going to literally refund some of that, give you a rebate, and you can use that to pay off these closing costs, as you said. This strategy only works if you know you're only going to be in the house a very short time, because there's no reason you want to extend a 30-year mortgage out and have it in a higher interest rate. But if you know you're not going to stay there, I, th- I think that's a really interesting strategy to do that. Typically, it's probably four years. I mean, I'd say that's the average of... if 42-month a- rule. Right. Then there's no 42-month rule. Then it's a one-month rule because you know you have nothing to lose except for your time and effort to get the loan closed. What can you negotiate and what can't you negotiate? As far as closing costs? Like a refi, you're going through a refi and you see these things. Or if you're just going to go buy a new house... What can you negotiate with the, the mortgage company and what can't you negotiate? So like in, I'll use my company, for instance, there's new rules in place that I can't arbitrarily offer somebody a better deal than the next person if they're the same qualifications. However, if somebody brings me a competitor's offer, then the bank can negotiate to be competitive. So if I tell you my closing costs are $4,000 and the rate's 3.75, you can't just arbitrarily expect that we're going to drop our closing costs or give you a better rate. But if you bring me a competitor, then it becomes a negotiation of, well, we had to offer this to be competitive with a competitor, then we can do it. And, you know, a lot of people want the bank to drop, you know, this fee or that fee. And it's just usually just won't happen because it's the CFPB is kind of watchful of what we're doing now. So we used to do, I had like, I call it a brother-in-law special, you know, if it was somebody that, you know, worked with in the past, then I'm going to give them a better deal. I just can't do that anymore. And you know, the guy down the street that's been a pain in my butt in my whole life is going to get the same deal my mom gets. And that was very different way back in, you know, the heyday, 2004 or five, whatever uh, markets than it is now. There's more rules, protections and all that kind of stuff, which I do appreciate and like. Uh, but it's, it's interesting because everyone always thinks you can negotiate all of that and you know, they're, they're, why, why am I paying 1100 bucks for an appraisal? You can't negotiate the appraisal cost. That just isn't yeah, how it works. Or just passing on third-party costs or what it costs us. Yep, exactly. So, Doug, as we go through, is there, do you want to maybe talk just high level on what someone would expect if they were to go through a refinance process right now? 
the way I handle it is people will fill out an online application. Once they've done that, I work through it, pull credit, and then give them an itemized list of what I'm going to need. And somebody that works for someone else is typically two years W-2s, most recent two pay stubs, two months worth of bank statements and retirement accounts. And then if they're self-employed, it's probably going to require two years tax returns. But other than that, you get to pick who you want to close your title insurance with and who you want to shop your insurance with, which that's another thing we'll need is your insurance agent's name and number. The one thing that is negotiable, that is one, is if you've closed recently, I'd advise going back to the same title company. Sometimes they will negotiate and give you a lower deal on the closing costs for like the closing fee. Mm -hmm. And really quick, just tell everyone what title insurance is. Title insurance is, there's two parts to it. So there's a lender's title policy and an owner's title policy. And what that is, the lender's policy is you're going to have to have that every time because that protects the lender. The owner's policy, typically the seller is going to pay for in a purchase and then you don't really need it in a refinance. But in a closed transaction, the title policy is to protect the lender and or the consumer if there's anything that clouds title. So, for instance, right before you bought the house, somebody had a bunch of contractors in and put a new roof on the house and then they didn't get paid, then the title insurance is responsible to make sure that you have clean title, that there's no judgment or anything that would have a superior ownership to it than the bank or the person buying the house. So if something like that comes up, that was the title company's responsibility to know about that. And that's what it's for, is to protect you. Same, the survey kind of works the same way. It's to make sure the house sits within the boundaries And if it doesn't, then that's part of the title policy. It gives coverage for survey coverage that you don't, I mean, think of your lot as a rectangle. And if your house sits outside the lines, then whenever you get a mortgage, you're really buying land. Anything on the land goes with it. So if your house doesn't actually sit on your land, then the survey coverage in your title work protects you. Yeah. You're not just buying the house, you're buying the land and the house just happens to be an improvement. Exactly. On the land, which is giving it value. And so you really don't, in this case, you don't want your improvement to sit on someone else's land. No, because then they own it. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, probably is not going to happen that often, but hey, you know, anything can, I guess, happen as you're working through That's this. That's why tile insurance has to have survey coverage. Exactly. Doug, as we kind of round this out, is there anything that we might be missing that people should know about if they're looking at doing a refinance or trying to figure out how to do a loan modification on their current loan? I'd always start with the modification. I mean, it doesn't hurt to ask. Call your lender you're already with. Ask them if they offer loan modifications. If they do, ask them the process and how much it costs because a modification is going to save you a lot of heartache because you don't have to go through and you know document everything I just said. You won't have to go through the process of an appraisal because sometimes a house doesn't reappraise. And it's typically going to save you a lot of money. I mean, so that's definitely your first option. It was like two pages in mailing you a check. It was really easy. Yeah. Tell everybody how much you saved on that. Oh, boy. It was a lot. It was a lot. It was like $600 a month or something like that. Yeah, it was going to break even in less than two months for you. Yeah. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Mr. Market or Mrs. Market, I guess, how you want to look at it for dropping rates so much. It was nice, but... And is there anything on the the refinance side that anyone might need to know before they do this? Yeah, a lot of people have a concept, I mean, a misconception, I should say, of rates need to be a point cheaper before I'm going to 
be worth my time. That's maybe true if you owe $80,000, but if you got a million dollar mortgage, even a quarter percent might actually make sense. So you really can't look at it as, you know, oh, my friend at work said it's not even worth looking into unless I'm going to save at least 1%. Well, 1% on a million dollars, $10,000 as opposed to 1% on a $80,000 is 800 bucks. So the time frame to recoup, and that's the unfortunate thing, is a lot of the closing costs don't really change that much on a bigger house versus small. So that person that's got that little small house, the appraisal is still going to cost them a minimum of $500. So it just the closing costs add up to a lot bigger percentage. Therefore, it takes you a lot longer and you then need to save a more of a percentage on your interest rate. Yeah. So you're going to refinance and the bigger your loan balance, the smaller the interest needs to be lower than what you currently have, maybe in order for the math to make sense. And if you don't know how the math works or really can't figure it out, um, you know, obviously I'd say do some research online before you do it, but reach out. I mean, I'm sure Doug is happy to help, but we can't work in every state but we have a good list of people that can service all the states. Uh, if you go to financialresidency.com. But if you have PMI, if you're a doctor or married to a doctor, and obviously you're listening to this, and you have PMI, you should be refinancing out pretty much no matter what, because no doctor should have PMI on their mortgage. And especially where rates are now. I mean, it, it, absolutely. if this was a year ago and you closed three years ago and you had an interest rate of four with PMI and then the rates were five and you could get that without PMI, that's not worth it. But rates are near all time lows right now. So in addition to being able to get rid of PMI, you're probably going to reduce your interest rate. And just the one overlooked fact, like I said, I don't don't think people think about this as a no cost loan is a can't lose. I mean, if it's not going to cost you anything and it's going to save you money, all you're losing is a little bit of your time. So do not miss the bottom of the market just because you don't want to spend four or five hours worth of gathering paperwork and signing documents if you could do it for free. That's not always the best option. Sometimes I, I would say 80% of the time, it's going to be better that you get a lower interest rate and pay those closing costs, whether it's out of pocket or roll them in. But there's just no chance you're coming out on the short end if it's a no-cost loan. Yeah. As you uh, said it, near historic rates. And I know you're really, really busy closing dozens and dozens of loans a month. So I, I appreciate you coming on. Give me some time. I know we're recording even late in order to uh, accommodate for what you have going on. But thanks again. And it's always fun to hang out with you. Hey, thanks for having me, Ryan. All right. So it's time for our recap. And here are four takeaways I'd love for you to walk away with. Takeaway number one is having gone through the loan modification process myself to lower our interest rate, I figured it it's less hassle than keeping my loan as is. And I obviously saved quite a bit of money instead of refinancing out. But as Doug mentioned, there's more to this than what meets the eye. Here's what he had to say about the different states imposing different requirements on you. Some states have very expensive title and some states have basically what I call a sales tax, especially out east. A lot of the states have 1% tax, plus the counties have another 1% tax. Take, for instance, somebody that's got a $500,000 loan, 
in a state out east, that might be $10,000 worth of taxes. And then tack on to that the cost for title insurance and appraisal. That person's you know easily into a refinance for fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars. Takeaway number two: Even though you might think that there's an opportune time to refinance your mortgage, be aware of the famous Doug rule to be sure that you're at least going to break even. Doug shares a bit more about why this is important, even if you think you're living in your quote unquote forever home. Main thing is you just have to look at how long am I going to be in the house, how much money am I going to save, and how much money is it going to cost me. If you look at it, my rule of thumb is if I can break even in 42 months, and that's just my own, that's the Doug rule, that's not a mortgage 101. If you can break even in 42 months and you know you're going to be there that long, then I think it's worth it. Number three, Doug explained a little bit on what an amortization schedule is and why you pay interest first. And while explaining, he helps us look at this type of table from the perspective of a 30-year loan and what you would save. If you look at the amortization tables, it's crazy how much money you save. And you'll probably pay about a third as much interest doing a 15-year loan as you will a 30-year. And lastly, number four, Doug explains why people should look at their settlement statements and escrow accounts when considering refinancing their mortgage. And he made a few great points on equity and qualification rules for certain rates. Here's what he had to say. So on escrow account, and it's pretty much mandatory if you have less than 20% equity, most banks will make it optional to not escrow if you have 20% or more equity. By the way, most banks charge even when you do have 20% equity to choose not to escrow. It's a Fanny rule that they charge a quarter point one time fee. So on a $500,000 loan, that's $1,250. So I'm sneaking back into the doctor lounge where I'm going to give you guys all one digestible tip that can help you increase your financial acumen and maybe even cause you to take some action with your finances. And not only do I want to help physicians understand how to manage their money to reach their financial goals, but I want you to understand why you spend money the way you do. And knowing the motivation behind your actions can help identify areas you can improve or stop bad habits altogether. So for instance, when it comes to impulse spending, what do you think are the biggest causes of buying something on a whim? Overwhelmingly, the answer is the old fashioned FOMO, the fear of missing out and you see a sales sign, you automatically think it's only going to be there for a limited time. So you feel the pressure to purchase it right then and there. I get it. It's human nature. Unfortunately, this FOMO can send your budget into a tailspin and maybe even hurt your short-term financial goals. What should you do when you feel the FOMO creeping in? Honestly, this is what I would do is I'd put yourself on a 30-day waiting period to see if you really need the purchase especially if it's a big ticket item. Also, ask yourself if you can reward yourself in a different way other than purchasing that item. Now, by all means, if there's a certain website or store that's constantly causing you to feel this way, please put yourself on a hiatus with them. Unsubscribe for their emails. Don't walk past it if you know where it is. There's no reason to allow FOMO to wreck your budget or your financial goals. For a quick community update, there are some really cool things happening. I really appreciate all of you that have literally emailed into me asking to review the book. There's been 
so many. I'm just overwhelmed with the acknowledgements and really the praise that you guys have been giving me. It's It means a lot and it's it's really motivating to keep continuing to put out content. And I can't wait for you guys to see what we have in store. Not only in October, we have a big change happening. In January, the book is happening, but there's going to be some cool activity happening on the new site, which is not active yet on financialfellowship.com. So I can't wait for you guys to see all the fun things that are happening in our community over the next 90 to 120 days. Next Monday, I'm going to be discussing 529s as a response to one of your listener questions. It's going to be really fun because, you know, who doesn't want to learn more about saving for their kids' college? So have a great week. I see you guys on Friday. Cheers. Oh, just kidding. Before we end, it's time for that important disclaimer. So please, everyone, listen up. Thank you so much for being here. I'm honored because this podcast is all about cash flow and budgets and financial goals and all the really fun things and those details making life worth pursuing. But these topics I know aren't the sexiest. You're here and that's what matters. And I work really hard at delivering great information for you all in the podcast, but there's a catch. I don't know anything about you or what your financial needs are. So please consult an attorney, a CPA, or reach out to us fee only financial planners before taking any action or making decisions affecting your hard earned money because it's just the smart thing to do.